Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Our topic this week, Psalm 23. And we are going to take a good look at this very popular psalm and break it down to make sure we truly understand what we are saying when we recite this psalm. So let's begin by reading Psalm 23 as our introduction to this message. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But before we examine the meaning of this psalm, let's investigate why Psalm 23 is more loved than any other of the 149 psalms. Why is this the psalm we are so hooked on and often told it is the one we have to learn? After all, I didn't know God's word was about a popularity contest. And a brief look at history would indicate that the 23rd Psalm was likely made popular in the 19th century by Henry Ward Beecher, as he described Psalm 23 in this way. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master nor is its work done. It will go singing to your children and my children and to their children through all the generations of time, nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended, and then it shall fly back to the bosom of God whence it issued and sound on, mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which make heaven musical forever. And this excerpt was taken from the book Life Thoughts Gathered from the Extemporaneous Discourses of Henry Ward Beecher, 1858. As I read Beecher's take on this psalm, it very much indicates Beecher seeing this passage as an encouragement and comfort primarily in times of distress, agony, and dying and death. Beecher does not indicate that this psalm is both a comfort in distress and extreme encouragement in times of joy, however. There is also historical evidence that Psalm 23 continued to gain momentum in the early 1900s as it became popular to read at funerals and was incorporated and widely distributed in the United States Anglican Church Book of Common Prayer. Could it be that by Beecher proclaiming this passage as, quote, the nightingale of the Psalms, he infected the world with a singular passage that would allow us to believe it is possible to escape the anguish of life by flooding ourselves with this one passage from David. 
And it only seems fitting that today we use this psalm at funerals, and it is used by numerous faiths and denominations as a comforter for those who remain, as an assurance to the living that the dead will somehow ultimately achieve their place in heaven with God, regardless of even recognizing the gravity behind these powerful words. Has this psalm become popular because it has been turned into a feel-good passage from the Bible? A passage that makes everything all okay when we recite it in times of distress? Has this passage become rote, just something we blabber because it's common and expected, in the same way we all too often blabber the Lord's Prayer to appear holy? How many children have been taught this, quote, popular passage in church or at home, and again, because it is expected, and every good and respectable church-going person has to teach their little ones this passage to remain in proper standing with the expectations of Christianity? Are we checking the box of accomplishments once our little ones can recite it with eloquence and passion for the adults to affirm they have now truly understood the foundations of God in their lives? And this question concerned me as I remembered back to my own childhood and learning the 23rd Psalm and realizing I did not understand it and was not taught the meaning, the true God-honoring meaning behind what I was being taught. So I reached out to a friend to discuss his experience as he too grew up in a church that also promoted the teaching of sound doctrine, but was just as dismayed to hear that he too was forced to learn and recite Psalm 23, and yet was never taught in return the foundations of these powerful God-inspired words of David. And this, I believe, is what happens to the Word of God when we decide to pick and choose and rank God's Word from most favorite to least favorite, and on a scale of 1 to 10 on when a particular passage is better than another to read under certain circumstances or what we need to read to suit our present mood. And good evidence for this comes from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice here, we don't see any reference to particular Scriptures being any better than any other, under certain circumstances based on our decision. It clearly states all Scripture is good for all occasions and all circumstances. And this realization has come to life the longer I teach and counsel. I have discovered there truly is no passage greater than another in any circumstance, and every ounce of Scripture masterfully illustrates and teaches to every facet and in every conceivable emotional and spiritual state we are in. With that, let's take a good look at the foundations of Psalm 23 and see how this passage is not a passage for just the depressed and beaten up lives and the dead. So now we will dig in and right at the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd, and we are going to stop right there. We need to stop here because these five words are so very powerful. But perhaps we have even gone too far into this already. Maybe we should just back up and start with the Lord. Just who is the Lord? And the answer to that question alone can cause wars and divisions in churches and all kinds of problems among we humans. So who is the Lord? And we simply can't go on reading the passage without the strict understanding of who it is we are even talking about. Because if we do not know who we are talking about, the remainder of the psalm is completely abstract. And our answer comes from two passages, and the first from Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And our second passage comes from Exodus 20, when God states, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. 
Definitively, we see the Lord is God, the one triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, author and maker of heaven and earth, and all things that have been created, visible and invisible, the God of Genesis and the God of Revelation. So by stating the Lord, we are emphatically acknowledging that the singular God of the universe, the same God that showed himself as Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, our guide, our master, our caretaker, and the one we are to rely on for all our needs. Because after all, that is the exact role of a shepherd and a very good shepherd at that. Now we move to the remaining three words of our first five words, and those are, is my shepherd. And so we are back to yet another critical point in this message and that of understanding the role of a shepherd, now that we know the identity and role of God. Shepherding is certainly one of the oldest professions and certainly one of the loneliest. Shepherds are often with their flocks 24-7 and many all year long, moving from one pasture to the next with their sheep. And no matter the weather, the shepherd stays with the flock. He lives, eats, and sleeps with that flock. As much as he is their caretaker, they become his family. According to a number of online sources, shepherding is not an easy job. A shepherd is responsible for making sure the flock, which can be upwards of 1,000 sheep, is kept safe from predators, keeping them from pasturing in areas that have poisonous plants, keeping track of their overall health, and tending to any sheep that are ill or injured, along with making sure they always have a source of fresh water. In addition, they often assist with lambing, and in some cases, the shearing. But another significant aspect of a good shepherd is to become the leader of his flock and making sure the sheep know who their leader truly is. So how do you get stubborn, wayward sheep to know who the boss is? And keep in mind, sheep must have people to care for them or they will die. They can't survive on their own, doing their own thing. Doesn't that sound exactly like people? According to Grit.com, a farming website and periodical, states that a good shepherd will bottle feed a select number of lambs each year and provide them with treats every time they are close to the flock. The article goes on to say that even if these sheep are low in the pecking order, the sheep that are getting the bottle or treats will come running to the shepherd when he makes himself known, which will, according to the article, temporarily disrupt the status levels of even the highest ranking sheep and all will follow suit. That reminds me of another great passage of scripture, Matthew 20, 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. And after reading and studying about the role of a shepherd, a question popped into mind and that of, are shepherds really a thing any longer? And if so, how many people are even in this lonely line of work today? And the answer was quite surprising. According to a 2007 Wall Street Journal article, there were about 1,500 shepherds employed in the United States alone, and still thousands more throughout the world. I find this so fascinating as something I never gave much thought to until now. And as I was reading all the various articles on tending and keeping sheep, little has changed in the shepherding world since the first shepherds engaged in this profession thousands of years ago. And so we now have a good picture of what a good shepherd will do and how he will take care of his flock and get the sheep to know and trust him. And this takes us to an ideal starting point to go back into God's word and see how God's role as the great shepherd of his flock compares and just how he tends his sheep, those who have put their trust in him, because of the good things, the amazing treats he offers us every single day. Looking now at John 10, 11, I, Jesus, am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's pretty compelling. 
And I would say that this is a very, very amazing and dedicated shepherd. Being willing to die for his sheep, a shepherd that is actually willing and prepared to be the sacrifice in place of a sheep. The predator can have him for lunch instead of even one sheep. And that is not something I read in any of the research I did and that of a shepherd's job description to include taking on death to save a sheep. And if that were ever to be added to a shepherd's job description, at least in the United States, I have a feeling that would make it into the news and in a legal battle in the Supreme Court. But not so with God. And that is truly a good, awesome, and amazing, loving shepherd we have. Moving on, John 10:14 states, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Continuing on with Isaiah 40, 11, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. And John 10, 1 through 4, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know a voice of a stranger. And all of these passages truly do indicate what a good shepherd does and how he cares for his sheep, and perfectly matches exactly how shepherding is still done in the 21st century. And this is how God cares for us, his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. So we come to the conclusion of part one of this topic and put our first sentence of Psalm 23 together, the Lord is my shepherd. In earnest, we know now these first five words state the following, the Lord, who is my God, Father, Son, Spirit, the author, creator, sacrifice, and savior. He is my shepherd. He is my master, my leader, my caretaker, and my protector. He is there day and night, all day, every day, watching over me with compassion and care, and because of this, I have no needs. I lack nothing. I don't need one thing. I am secure and sufficient in all things, all the time. And all of this is the premise to the remainder of Psalm 23. We will see in part two that this sums up the entirety of the passage and is setting us up to fully understand, feel, and live out our lives like a good sheep that truly has a perfect shepherd. And not only is the shepherd perfect, but he knows well in advance what we need before we even know we need it. Isn't it absolutely fantastic that we can take five simple words from a popular passage and break it down into such a deep understanding of who our Lord and Shepherd truly is and all this is to hopefully see God's Word in a way we never have before. Next time, we will address the remainder of Psalm 23, putting everything we have learned today into context. Let's pray. Lord, you are indeed the great shepherd of your sheep, and we do not need anything more. We lack nothing. We truly have it all. Help us to trust in you for your guidance and protection in all things. Help us to listen to your voice when you call us. Help us not to be wayward and self-seeking in our next move. Help us to remember the devil, our predator, is prowling around waiting to devour us. 
Thank you for keeping such good care of your flock. Thank you for keeping us rounded up and close to you for protection and safety and for providing all that is necessary to sustain us in every way. Forgive us for straying from you, thinking we can do it better on our own and manage our own affairs and all while being completely lost. And now we ask all of this in the name of our great shepherd, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we give all praise, honor, and glory.